DJ PK and Chris Camerani joining as staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Utes and then other things that interest him around the state of Utah. But Utah football, the primary focus. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Oh, come on, Chris. Where's the energy? Come on, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to start off by saying I thought you guys had forgotten about me, but I'm glad I haven't been forgotten yet. Oh, I was texting you during a radio <laughs> appearance last week. You know I haven't forgotten about you. Where, when do you call me? I think you've forgotten about me. You've moved on. You're national. You're big time now. You don't need to talk to me. I know. I've anymore. forgotten about you. <laughs> I, know, PK, I know PK PK hasn't forgiven me for not getting a haircut years ago, so until that day comes... <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, no, that, probably that's your be calling card now. <laughs> no, no, I, that's your calling card. I think you got to stay with it. That's that's giving you your separation. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'll take it. <laughs> so we want to jump in here and talk a little Utah football with you. There's plenty of stuff I'd like to talk to you about, but that's the that's the thing you devote the most energy and attention to. It's the primary reason. Uh, the Athletic has you, and it's what they want you writing about. And just two hours ago, you posted a story. The headline is, Utah prepares for spring practice. The question, again, is about the starting quarterback. Everybody wants to know about the starting quarterback. And PK will tell anybody who will listen that it's going to be Charlie Brewer. And I was talking to somebody who you know has a little info on the Ute program. It's like, well, of course it's going to be Charlie Brewer. What are you, stupid? <laughs> so why are we discussing who this is going to be? Because everybody who seems to have any inside info is like, obviously it's Charlie Brewer. What are you thinking? You know what? Uh, conventional wisdom points to that, but I'm going to snap a curveball, and I'm going to say that Jaquindon Jackson has a shot at this thing. Um, and I'm just saying that based on recent history – of quarterback battles at the University of Utah. Um, I know it's only in, within the last five years, but looking at 2017 when Tyler Huntley beat out uh, a senior captain in Troy Williams, and then going back to last year, Cam Rising beating out uh, a senior captain in Jake Bentley. I'm not saying uh, the third time is going to be a, an underclassman charm necessarily, but it's an interesting place to be, guys, because you, you guys talk about the existence of the transfer portal pretty much every day on your show, and <laughs> rightfully so. But here's the thing. like, If Jaquindon Jackson and Charlie Brewer are theoretically 1-2 this spring, with, with Cam Rising recovering and the true freshman, Peter Costelli, probably third in the pack, if, if you're Andy Ludwig, if you're Kyle Whittingham, do you really go all in on a senior grad transfer who only has one year left? Or if the separation isn't that substantial, do you go with the guy who has as many as four years to play, knowing that here's a guy who, while he doesn't have game reps, he doesn't have the 10,000 career uh, total yards of offense that Charlie Brewer had at Baylor. Here's a guy who was at one point the number three dual threat quarterback in the country and a guy who is, you know, by all intents and purposes does everything that Andy Ludwig wants to do from a quarterback scheme standpoint, meaning he can throw the ball and he's a threat in the rushing attack. I I understand that people assume that Charlie Brewer is the guy, but I think a lot of us assumed last year that Jake Bentley was the guy. 
All right, Chris, I need you for an hour now that you brought all that stuff up. <laughs> you just, you just, my brain was just on fire when you were saying all these things because all of us are pretty close to the program. There's some stuff I'm going to throw at you to get your response, and it's a, a in favor of what you're saying, and it's also against what you're saying, and I'll start with in favor. One thing I've learned is Kyle loves running quarterbacks because he's a defensive guy and he's always felt that mobile quarterbacks are the toughest for him to defend. And let's face it, we know that's the way he approaches everything from the football perspective. So that's in your favor. Now, against your favor is Kyle turned 62 this year. I don't think he's going to be coaching uh, at 67, 68 years of age. So he is in a win-now mentality. And then with this kid Brewer, if Brewer helps him win this year, because there's no reason why they don't contend again this year. And they've been right there. Throw out last year. Last year was just not even mm-hmm. worth discussing as far as a, a race for the South and for the conference. But the other two years, obviously, they were right there. Washington, and we know all that happened, so I don't need to go over that stuff. So in against it is Kyle's got a win-now mentality because he's not building a program. He's trying to win now. So those are my two thoughts there. Respond to that. So regarding you know the win-now mentality, I understand that. Um, and you know what? It's it's really weird, guys, because what transpired at Utah the last five years is it's gone against pretty much everything that uh, runs to reason of of what you would go with. Like the fact that Troy Taylor went with Tyler Huntley over Troy Williams, that really never happens. And the fact that it happened again a few years later, even under a different offensive coordinator, just goes to show that Utah isn't afraid to go with the quarterback that they believe has the most upside and who can help them win now. Now, the, the win-now thing is a little tricky because you throw in a guy like Charlie Brewer who comes to Utah who's thrown for, I think, 9,700 yards in four years in the Big 12, um, you know, rushed for another three or 400 yards. So Charlie Brewer, in his own right, is a, is a dual-threat quarterback, too, in a sense. But Charlie Brewer also comes to Utah with a, a recent history of, of some injuries, some head injuries. And we know how, you know, sticky those types of injuries can be short-term and long-term. So I I understand why Utah went out and got Charlie Brewer because of his ability, um, you know, as a quarterback. But I don't know, guys. I I just think, like, if the separation isn't that substantial, I could definitely see a situation where, where Andy and Kyle decide to roll with, you know, somebody else. And that's not, that's not a slight on Charlie. I, I mean, we're just talking hypotheticals here. The other thing we also have to take into account is, is this offense might be more run heavy than it's been even in recent years with the exodus of wide receivers at the program. Utah has Britton Covey who does everything for him and, and Solomon Enos who, you know, in, in theory is a, a big bodied receiver who can go up and, you know, make the difficult catches. But after that, Guys, I mean, there's just not much there. You have Jalen Dixon coming back, but he took a year off. We don't know what he looks like physically. And then after that, it's a bunch of, you know, former walk-ons and scout team guys. Okay. So but, it, yeah, sorry, but, I was just going to say, it, it's just the, the, the layers to this conversation, I think, go way beyond who the starting quarterback is going to be. 
because the personnel around whoever QB1 is going to be is going to necessitate that. Sure, but it could be, and I don't. I got one more quarterback question before we get to the receiver group. So, because you bring up excellent points there, and we're going to get to that. But with quarterbacks, more and more, as interested as I am in the starter, when we get in these situations, and BYU is basically in the same situation uh, this year, uh, I'm really interested in who the second quarterback is because the first quarterback isn't making it through the season very often. I mean, it was just two years ago, BYU played three quarterbacks. Utah, we had this big quarterback competition, and we were surprised by who won it. And then after 14 snaps, there's an injury, so it doesn't matter who won it. Yeah. Who is going to be number two? Because number two ought to really feel like they're 1A, and whether it's uh, Troy Williams, who got, I think, two or three starts his senior year, but he got the start against USC at the Coliseum, which for we, if you're not an L.A. kid, you just you, you can't underestimate how important that was, right? If it was one game he wanted to start, it wasn't Utah-BYU, it was Utah-USC, and he got to start it. So... Whether you're getting the whole season or you're getting three or four key games along the way, number two is really 1A. So can you tell us who's going to be in that group? I mean, is Cam Rising, who was the starter, seriously going to end up number three on the depth chart? Well, listen, every possible scenario that Utah could face from a quarterback battle, it, it, it has. It has a former starting quarterback who suffered a season ending injury who is undergoing a a lengthy recovery process. That's one. You have a four-star true freshman recruit who was recruited by the likes of Oregon, Michigan State, LSU. He's on the roster. You have a a four-star transfer kid who was at Texas, who was at one point, as I mentioned, the number three rated dual quarterback in the country. And then you have a a grad transfer senior who comes to Utah with over 10,000 yards of total offense after four years as a starter in the Big 12. We, I know, like the, the question is always going to be quarterback here, but like this is this is on another level of, of what of what Kyle and Andy are facing in terms of how they settle this thing out and and what the uh, how the dominoes fall. I, I do think in terms of like who is number two, it depends on how Cam uh, you know recovers from his surgery and his rehab. I know Kyle said that he wants to have Cam get a legit shot in the fall if he's able to recover and get there. And I understand that. Um, but it, if we're operating in the scenario that Cam isn't 100% by the fall, I think you go in thinking that Jaquindon Jackson and Peter Costelli are kind of uh, in the running for that number two spot because essentially they both have the same amount of eligibility based on last year with Jaquindon Jackson's true freshman year not counting towards his eligibility. Um, but again, like it, it, everything is so up in the air because you have all of these different you know, variants of, of – of quarterbacks and you're, you could potentially have four starting caliber guys come fall. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. The guy holiday situation was something that caught me by surprise. And uh, DJ and I do research. It's a little more understandable now. What is your take? Well, you know what guys, when it comes to stuff like this, I'm always going to rely on the person who was affected by it themselves the most. And uh, when you guys had Guy on last week, I think Guy spoke his truth, and he was very forthcoming and transparent. And for for anybody who knows Guy Holiday, you wouldn't expect anything less. Um, but it was really, you know, intriguing to hear him talk about the the mental and physical toll that the last few years have taken on him. Um, 
I didn't see it coming either, but listen, sometimes changes are warranted, and, and Guy said that himself. And the reality is um, maybe it was a confluence of things coming to a head at one time, but you know, losing a guy like Brian Thompson is, to ASU is one thing, and I, I understand the, the Samson Nakua departure. There were some other things, you know, family-related reasons that he and Puka ended up back in Provo together. I understand that. But to have two guys who are, in theory, two of your top four receivers bounce a few weeks before spring ball, that does not bode well for the, for the trajectory of the position group. And I just think those were kind of the two uh, last straws. And, and Kyle and you know, his staff felt like they needed to make a change. PK has often uh, said that there are uh, people with uh, good knowledge of the program who've wanted to go Stanford double tight ends. And under one head coach, but multiple offensive coordinators, although we've seen a taste of that at times, we've never seen a really steady diet of it the way Stanford does. But given everything you just said about the receiver position, and they got one or two guys maybe they can count on, but they do seem to have a group of tight ends that is pretty good. Do you think it's going to look a little different? Power run game, two tight ends, linebackers and strong safeties, thinking this guy's coming to block me and knock my head off again, and all of a sudden they dip his shoulder and they run right by him, and it's a big play down the seam. Is it going to look different? you think we're going to get a lot of double tight ends this year? I think there's a legit argument to be said there, especially considering how deep the tight end room is uh, with everybody coming back from last year's group. And um, I, I think the other thing that we haven't even touched on is, is, is every Utah offense will be predicated on the run game and with the tragedy surrounding Ty Jordan. I just don't think people – I mean, some fans might understand, but for those who watched Ty Jordan last year, like this was as close to as an it guy – that Utah had from an offensive perspective in a very, very long time. I know Zach Moss is the, the best running back in school history, but just watching the way Ty Jordan played football as a true freshman, it was different. And I think you guys would probably agree with me on that standpoint. And to have that sort of tragedy hit your program and lose a guy like that and then have to replace him in such a short amount of time and to do so with two uh, you know, transfer portal guys I think the offense is just going to look remarkably different this year. And that, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. In theory, you have a three-headed monster at the running back position with, you know, TJ Pledger the fourth and Chris Curry and Makai Bernard. But, DJ, to your point, I, I think the strength of this offense, probably from a skill position standpoint, is, is the tight end right now. And we, we saw what Brant Keithy can do. I think Cole Fotheringham is a very good secondary option as a tight end. And, and maybe Utah just needs to go full Stanford this year. We won't be able to see what spring ball, spring ball looks like, but it wouldn't surprise me if we get to fall, and that's the look of this team. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because Kyle just – he approaches offense from a defense's perspective and what he feels is the most difficult to defend. But you look at the personnel – and it might scream that this might be the most traditional offense that they've had in years yeah. with all the things that you just listed. So um, it's going to be so fascinating to see how it develops here because this is, not, this is not a development year. This is a year to win. There's no reason why they don't win. And maybe they don't win the South, but there's a, they have every shot. So I don't know necessarily where I'm going with a question. I'm just trying to figure out 
you know, yes. what they're what they're going to do. And I feel like I know you well enough that I don't have to interview you. No, that well, I could just I, talk with you. <laughs> well, I think what you were getting at, uh, PK, is that the development of the defense last year expedited this this roster's timeline. And, and I think the fact that that young defense was so good last year in such a short amount of time that it proved that with a competent offense in 2021, right. this, team, this team absolutely has a chance to compete for the South. I, I know right. the defense maybe takes a few licks. Uh, you know, l- losing Nate Ritchie and Sione Fotu to, to missions is going to hurt. I thought those two guys were phenomenal true freshman players as starters. Um, but you know what? I mean, I think we all just have to finally understand that until it happens, you just have to rely on Utah's defense always being legit. Until there's a year where Utah's defense can't do anything well, you just have to understand that Utah is going to always have that as its calling card. So, to your point, PK, I just think the, the, based on the abilities of that defense last year, it expedited the timeline of, of what this quote-unquote rebuild was going to be after losing all of that talent in 2019. Uh, Chris, you have a story up on The Athletic, and you came on the big show and talked about it, but you did a kind of a dive into Quinn Snyder's background. He's not a guy who goes into that a lot. He's a look-forward guy, not look-back guy. And some of that stuff is for a national audience, and we know it, but also you're, you're pretty good at digging to find stuff that interests you that's new to you. Give me one thing you learned about Quinn Snyder, one perspective you have now that you didn't before you started diving in on that story. Well, for me, the, the takeaway was that 12 years later, a bunch of guys who got to know Quinn Snyder over a weekend still talk about him glowingly and, and talk about their effect he had on their playing careers. Um, you know, Quinn was the coach of the 2009 D-League All-Star Game back in uh, 09 when it was at the Phoenix Convention Center, which is like two blocks from where the Suns play. It's a very rinky-dink setup at the time. The D-League was still very young. And, uh, you know, while Nate Robinson is jumping over Dwight Howard and winning dunk contests, there's Quinn Snyder a couple of blocks away trying to figure out what his path is going to be from a coaching perspective. Everybody knows Quinn's story and, you know, how he got to the Jazz. But my takeaway ultimately was it was interesting to, to find out that Quinn – had an audible in terms of how he wanted those old Austin teams to play. And that audible back then, 12 years ago, was essentially laid the groundwork for how this Jazz team plays today. Quinn went to Greg Popovich. He went to R.C. Buford and said, listen, guys, we don't have the personnel to run the Spurs motion offense. I understand that that got you four championships. But this team that we have now needs to be predicated on space and shooting the three. And talking to Quinn last week and then talking to some other guys that have been around him over the years, they say that watching the Jazz play now is absolutely based on and and is indicative of of what those old Austin Spurs team or Austin Toros teams played like. So that, that was really cool to hear and see. Chris, we're out of time. We could talk to you for another half hour. There's plenty of ground to cover. We'll have to have you back. I will call you daily since you don't ever think I've forgotten about you. I'm always I'm always here, guys. I know you guys just have bigger fish to fry, but I'm always here if you need me. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Guys.
All right, there's Chris Camerani, DJ and PK. We had to take a break. We're way late. We like talking to Chris, so we just ignore Yach when he said, you were supposed to break five minutes ago. It's true. We were, but we like this talking to Chris. definitely not the latest you've ever broken. It's not a record, but it's also way past time. And uh, and we had like 47 more questions for Chris, so we'll have to get him back on. That means we have him back on, yeah. DJ and PK, coming up next. Everything you missed in this show, stay with us.